This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I can't quite explain how, what pleasure I have in introducing to these three people. Um, you know, when uh, we were going to do this conference, I knew always that they would be here. This is they meaning Moinak Bishash and Shupriya Chaudhuri. And then I got to know of Pinaki uh, and had to get them. And I thought these three would just provide in- incredible uh, you know, insights into these two films that you've seen over the last two days, Gupiga and Baghaba in 1969 last night, and Hirak Rajat Deshe or The Kingdom of Diamonds tonight from, that's 1980. So just by way of very quick introduction, uh, Shupriya Chaudhuri in the middle, Professor Emerita, Jadavpur University in Calcutta, is a legendary teacher. And if she protests, there are many people here who can attest to that. <laughs> Shupriyadi, as we call her, may have retired from active teaching, but in terms of research and writing, she has not slowed down at all. She continues to work on early modern European literatures, Indian cultural history, cinema and modernism, and translates Bengali poetry and fiction into English. Just in the current year, she has published an edited volume, Religion and the City in India from Rutledge, and several articles, including a chapter in the book, The Form of Ideology and the Ideology of Form, from Open Book Publishers. She has also had the opportunity to know Satyajit Ray as a close family friend from her childhood. Moinak Bishashir is Professor and Department Head of Film Studies and Coordinator of the Media Lab at Jadavpur University. So in 1997, when I went back to India to do my research in, on my dissertation, everybody said, have you talked to Moinak? Wherever I went, have you talked to Moinak? I mean, he's you know, become a really good friend and someone who's uh, helped me out tremendously on a daily basis in all kinds of work that I do. Uh, he has edited a collection of essays, Apu and After, revisiting Ray's cinema. They just came out in 2005, and I think that remains one of the best uh, volumes on Ray. And is, currently he's working on a book about the work of Ritik Ghatak, the other really famous Bengali director. Uh, in addition to being the preeminent scholar of Bengali cinema and a revered teacher himself, Moinak is also a media maker. He has written and co-directed the award-winning Bengali feature film, Sthaniyo Shongbad, Local News, uh, 2010, and produced, uh, actually it's called Spring in the Colony in English, sorry, (laughs) Uh, and produced a commissioned video installation across the burning track for the 11th Shanghai Biennale in 2016. Pinaki De is a graphic designer. He's also, he teaches in a college, English. He's a professor of English in uh, a college in in outskirts of Calcutta. He has designed almost 200, sorry, 500 book covers to death. To death. Date. (laughs) He is the winner of many awards, uh, including the Publishing Next Award for the Best Book Cover Designer in India, twice, in 2017 and 2019. He designed the layout for the Pothet Pachali sketchbook from HarperCollins that came out in 2016 and Travels with the Alien, HarperCollins, 2018, You guys should check this out. It's a very interesting uh, book for uh, people in the West. A member of the Society for the Preservation of Satyajit Ray Archives, he is also the assigned designer of the Penguin Ray Library, the special editions that seek to preserve Ray's archival works. Uh, Most of you know this by now, 
but just to quickly uh, bring all, all of us up to date, Shotujit Rai remains to this day the best-selling author of uh, young adults and uh, children's fiction in Bengali. And Bengali is the sixth most spoken language in the world, so that's a lot of readers reading his books. And he has an afterlife online, in comic books, all kinds of stuff after his death. Uh, he also was a very important graphic designer. Uh, you know, all the sets that you saw were designed by him. All the costumes that you saw were designed by him. Everything in this film. Uh, so when we were thinking about what films to show, and, you know, this conference has been organized around the thematic of wonder, because we thought that wonder would be a good way to cut across the various medias in which he had worked, film, uh, graphic art, and uh, uh, literature. And uh, we thought, what could go well with these, uh, this kind of theme, thematic? And we then decided to show the Gupigain films, the two of them that he directed. There's a third one that was directed by his son based on his own script. And he also composed the music for that as well. What year was that? Mm, I think it's around 90s. Okay. Mm. Um, and then um, the third one that's coming on November 7th is a detective film uh, featuring his very, very, very popular uh, sleuth figure, Feluda, or Prodoshmitar. And this is the one in which uh, I think... Uh, anyway, uh, you'll, I hope you get to come and see that. It's a wonderful film, and it's also re uh, restored digitally. And then November 9, we are showing something that's not no longer a young adult or children's fiction. By the way, the... Uh, the detective film is based on his own story. That's important to tell, say. Um, okay, let's get to this. The last film is not for children, but uh, it's about celebrity culture. So it's, these are not films that are usually shown in either North America or in England. And so I thought, you know, this would be a good opportunity to introduce audiences here to these films uh, because we just love them. And I mean, you know, Gupika and Baghava and Winak was telling, reminding me yesterday, when it first released in 1969, it had a continuous run of like over 100 weeks. 100 weeks. So that's, you know, pretty amazing for uh, a film that, I mean, it remains one of his most popular films. So let's start with some questions I have for you. Um, just by way of, you know, starting it out, Moinak, if you want to tell us a little bit about the source of the story of the first film and, uh, you know, the family legacy? Well, the story, uh, Gupika in Bhagavan, was serialized in this family uh, children's magazine, Shandish, in 1915. The story was written by his grandfather, Upendra Kishore Rajwadari. Um, Ray was, had been toying with the idea of making the film for a while, but he finally kind of got to the production in 1960, late 67, early 68, I think. Uh, he was looking for a slightly bigger budget than his usual kind of outlay for his films because he worked on a very, very small budget. And Gupika and Bhagavan, he needed, he was looking for a producer who would be, you know, who would agree to put in more money. So finally, that big budget production was you know, those who know the Indian currency was four lakh rupees, which is not even a million uh, in Indian uh, uh, sort of currency. So this was, 
he, the interesting thing is that when he sort of was really thinking of, seriously thinking of making the film, he actually prepared a long treatment note. Uh, and as was his practice, he kind of illustrated it. He kind of drew on the margins and drew the figures, some of the motifs. This is now published in one of the Penguin Ray Library books, which came out last year, I think, um, called The Treatment of mm-hmm. Note of Kupika and Bhagavad. Yes. So this was the two versions, 64 and 65. The interesting thing is that I think I should uh, sort of you know, tell you is that the film story differs, I mean, uh, digresses, uh, I mean, dif- differs quite substantially from the from the uh, original story by his grand- grandfather. In fact, I would say that the, the, the flavor of the story also changes substantially. It's much, much more kind of, there's much more fun, there's much more kind of, you know, a possibility scope of exploring various uh, media, as it were, uh, graphically, musically, and so on. And the characters of Gupi and Bhaga change a lot from the original story to the film. Even from a treatment note, 64, 65, to his full. And what else should I say? Um, Father. Right. Father, of course, uh, you didn't ask about. His father was and remains one of the most important writers of children's. I mean, it's not only meant for only children. The children, it is usually <coughs> said to be children's literature, but also for almost people of all age. I mean, he is a constant reference in all kinds of things we write in, in our everyday daily conversations. Shukumar Rai, his father, and his nonsense verse is, if you ask me, is one of the, probably the, among the very finest in the world. And um, also a kind of, you know, not really trained. Ray was trained as a kind of uh, painter, uh, draftsman, but Shukumarai wasn't trained, really, but also experimented with photography, uh, printing, and so on. And if, you are, if th- there is an interesting in the Gupi Pagan note, treatment note, original, that Ray wrote, actually the Halla king and the Shundi king, when they finally meet, interestingly, they call each other Udo and Budo, which is not there in the film. <laughs> Udo and Budo is from a fabulous... Uh, kind of story by Shukumari, his father, called translated as Abracadabra uh, by Satyajitri himself. And it's kind of twiddledy, twiddledum figure. So Ray actually wanted to bring a shadow of that into the film, but he finally decided against it. Uh, it struck me today, <laughs> not so much Gupi Gain, but this film, the, all the dialogue is. It rhymes throughout. Rhyming. I mean, I thought you, you probably must have got it right. The translation didn't, but the rhyming is just mind blowing. Only the teacher doesn't speak in rhyming dialogue. Why do you think that is? Uh, so I was asking myself, you know, why? Uh, because I had the impression originally, just an impression from long ago, that the entire text of uh, Hirok Raja Deshe. It does, in fact, rhyme. And then I noticed that the teacher does not speak in rhymed verse. And uh, I started asking myself uh, why this is so. 
And it struck me uh, that one of the most notable influences on Hirokura Jaddeshe, which after all was not written by his grandfather, but was a original screenplay composed by Ray himself, uh, to me the proximate influence on this composition uh, were the uh, verse dramas of uh, Rabindranath Tagore. Ray was a student at Tagore's university. There was an unmistakable influence of Tagore in a great deal of the work he did. Uh, in the film that you see, there is this overlay of uh, constant rhyming, humor, mischief, and you don't really see that uh, layer, but uh, it's very much present in the personality of the, the school teacher. Um, I'm thinking particularly of uh, two early plays by Rabindranath Tagore, uh, one called Prayushchitta, which, which means expiation, published or written in uh, 1909. And this was uh, reworked uh, to make another play called Poritran, Poritran, uh, 1929. And both these plays feature a character called Dhananjoy Bhuiragi, who is a Baal singer. And he encourages uh, pe the people to um, protest against an oppressive, ty tyrannical king and not to pay their taxes. That's, in fact, the subject matter of both these plays, which take the seeds of their plot from an earlier novel that Tagore wrote uh, in 1889 or something called Bothakuranir Hat. Um, so both these plays then are about governance, good governance, um, protest, resistance to tyranny, and how the people can resist. And the figure, this figure, Dhananjoy Boiragi, who appears in both these plays, uh, Expiation and Deliverance, the second play, Poritran, translates as Deliverance. Um, the, uh, this character then comes back in another play, uh, which um, I think is dated 1923, uh, Mukto the waterfall, uh, where uh, this is a much more complex symbolic play about the building of a dam by an engineer scientist, rather like you know, the scientist engineers in both these, uh, the, you know, the magician figure in both these uh, films, uh, and uh, the resistance to that tyranny, which is again led by this Baal singer figure called Dhananjoy Boiragi. Now, the point that we came uh, you know, to this from was the fact that Tagore's verse dramas they are called verse dramas, but they are mainly written in free uh, verse. That's to say the text does not rhyme, but there is a great deal of singing. There are many songs interspersed. So in the main, these dramas don't use rhyming verse as such. Right. In the main, there may be some exceptions, but in the main, they don't. And Udayan Pundit seems to come very much from that tradition. And I think that you know, he really seems to be stepping out of that Tagorean verse drama where the seriousness, the metaphysical you know, the urgency, the need to resist rebellion 
It's a very important uh, theme in all these plays by Tagore, especially Muktodhara, which has uh, you know, the theme of ecological resistance as well by the people against a dam uh, which creates uh, enmity between them about the sharing of waters. Um, a final point, which I could make it here, but let, let me just make it in one uh, okay. go. Yes. Yeah. A final point is... Um, in, um, this is a point made by Prathama Banerjee in a book called Elementary Aspects of the Political, which was published two years ago, 2020. And she suggests that from uh, the uh, you know, early 20th century, there is a very strong tradition in Indian theatre, films featuring kings and kingly tyranny. And she mentions uh, Girish Kosha's Sirajuddola and uh, D.L. Rai's Shah Jahan and Tagore's Rokhtokorubi, which is a film called, uh, which is a, a play, uh, the, tra the title translating to Red Oleanders. And one could also mention Raja, King of the Dark Chamber. Uh, so all these films about, oh, sorry, all these uh, plays belonging to us building up a strong dramatic tradition of uh, the king and tyrannical government, which is resisted by a uh, section of the populace. And Prathoba Banerjee suggests that the uh, need to stage the implosion of the political subject uh, um, because of a kind of overreaching, uh, overarching uh, you know, oppression, uh, that is something that seems to be going through Indian theatre right up to the 1960s and 70s. And she suggests that where historians and political scientists are looking uh, towards history for a non-monarchical democratic tradition, the theatre prefers to uh, stage the people as resisting kingly power. So kings, oppressive monarchs, are constantly appearing on the stage mm -hmm. in order to stage people's resistance. Mm -hmm. And that too seems to be something that is a theme yeah. in both these uh, films. Yeah. Great. Um, one more thing. Is this going to be too simplistic to say that the people are speaking in a language that rhymes, that's mm. more folksy, mm. oddly, whereas the other, Udayun, mm. that's more erudite, more cultured, more learned. Mm. Um, well, that would be like Shakespeare, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reverse. Mm, because right. in Shakespeare, uh, the, uh, the elite speak in blank verse mm -hmm. and the people speak in prose. Mm -hmm. And here you have the people speaking in rhymed verse yeah. and this um, learned teacher figure speaking in uh, prose. So I don't exactly know what that means. Yeah. I, I was also thinking, you know, of that one particular song in Gupi Gain Bhagava in the first part mm. where he, they go to the Hallara, uh, sorry, Shundi Raja's court and yes. the song they sing, Maharaja Tomare Salam, mm. that, you know, yes. and so much of it is about we come from Bengal, we are yes. Bengalis mm. and talking about the language itself as having mm. this quality of flowing freely and uh, Pranero Bhasha, like vital, right? Like it's like very lively and Shorera Bhasha, Anundir Bhasha, it's joyous, it's about freedom. Now, maybe 
I know usually we think about rhyme as imposing some kind of constraint, but it seems like you know Bengal is Bengal is so onomatopoeic and all of that. Like I'm thinking that the play with the rhythmic patterns mm-hmm. like that may be more inherent to the language here, whereas the other is more like grammatically different. If I may say something. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in that context, when Gupi Bagha sang that song in the court, Shundi, uh, the contrast was, primary contrast was be- between the classical ornate singing mm-hmm. on one hand right. mm-hmm. and this song they themselves describe right. as simple, as That's simple right. song composed right. with simple emotions in a simple tune. That is the contrast, you know. So you bring it back to the local and the more kind of familiar today. And the classical singing was seen to be coming from some yeah. some kind of a ritual yeah. ritual sort of perspective or background. Okay, so no. Okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about the you know the quality of the graphics. Yeah. Um, one could say it's very childlike, much of it. And it's children's, I mean, we know he's a, he's a consummate artist, he's like incredible modernist aesthetics, all the posters and all the book covers. Uh, and yet he does this here. Is this like amateurish in the sense of like from love, amateur? Uh, that yeah, Consciously amateurish, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah right. uh, so, you know, there is a context to it. You know, Ray, whenever he used to sort of write in his script, the first thing was to, you know, uh, conceive it in his draft book, which is called the Kheror Khata. And those books contain all his sketches, all the short divisions, everything. Now, that was understandable, but he went further. He actually used to do everything right down to the color coordination of the dresses. For example, Gupigain Bhagavan, you have the flags, remember? The flags and the different shapes that are there. Even that is actually, you know, done to the right, you know, last detail. I would actually point out, if you have, if you remember the scene where the messenger comes up with a calligraphic kind of a, kind of sign language that uh, Halla is declaring war on Shundi, even that can be deceived. And Ray actually, uh, you know, put that with a lot of care so that even that which comes up in maybe for two seconds in the screen, that can be deciphered and people have deciphered what, you know, that private language should be. So, if you look at the set design and the scenarios, you can find that Ray is also trying to differentiate it through design. For Mm -hmm. example, the chamber of the evil magician, or say the chamber of the king, the Halla and the Shundi, they are very different from each other. I was discussing this with Moinanda, and the evil magician, if you understand. He, he sketched it, uh, you know, almost like Ivan the Terrible. You know, he was particularly uh, fond of the film. And he sketches it like that. And even the chamber of the evil magician probably echoes... Uh, the, Ivan the Terrible. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. So design plays a very important kind of, uh, you can say, uh, a feature uh, by which he actually distinguishes certain scenarios. Even look at the natural scenes. He took a lot of care in sort of curating, in taking rekes, right? So, you know, even the trees that you see in the background and all that has this calligraphic feature that somehow blends with the, with the narrative. And I personally feel, Bhaskar, uh, you said that, you know, it's consciously. One of the good things about uh, Ray is the title cards design. 
if you mm. see the title cards he never did it in uh, uh, the 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 second film hero rajat deshe but in the first film the title cards are all designed by him and if you see that he is consciously actually trying to imitate a kind of a style which is childish and he will actually take this to a kind of a greater length in another film which we'll see shonar kela the golden fortress don't say anything about the storyline no no not but <laughs> but if you see it's amazing it's an amazing film but if you see there the title cards would be almost drawn by, by a child and is imitated that's a conceit it's drawn by the child drawn by a child so uh, i think it is consciously there there is a wonderful advertisement uh, for gupi gain bagavan called uh, ajob chobi gupi gain bagavan says strange film gupi gain bagavan and here you only have you know absolute random sketches uh, describing that so he was also trying to sort of pitch it as a kind of a film uh, which has not been you know made before in bengal which is something that has this child in it you know that every child in you mm-hmm. can see it's not only meant for the children but for even the adult a child within uh, you know an adult can actually enjoy the film i think design plays a role Yeah, since we have gone to design, may as well talk about the ghost dance sequence—a seven-minute-long yeah. sequence yeah. Uh, in the middle of this film that sort of stands out. Adiyat blends in; it's completely part of the narrative, and yet it pops like right. differently so, because it's avant-garde, experimental, yeah. whatever you call. It. I can I can tell you one thing. So uh, the draft book of Gupi Gain is almost like one eighty pages, right? More than that, one <laughs> ninety. but he actually has a separate draft book for the 7 minute sequence and that runs into 125 pages separate yeah it's a separate one for the you know 7 minute sequence and there although it is not seen you know even the shape of the shoes and the way they will be placed are designed uh, of course all the characters with their class differences and hierarchies they are sort of explicated So tell tell us a bit more about the characters, what they are. Okay, so uh, I think uh, Shupendra will be better no, placed. No, no, okay, no, so the, the 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 if you if you look at contemporary Bengal, you know, if you look at the ghost dance, it sort of the ghosts are actually they belong to different classes. So you have the Shahib ghost, which mm-hmm. is basically the white man, the white man, and they are of course uh, they. somehow are the stereotypical kind of sahibs that can be seen drinking alcohol getting drunk that's important yes that's the important point and you also have the upper classes so for example the brahmins right with their uh, again very stereotypical kind of depiction and then you also have other kind of uh, you know the diggods you know it's the the intellectuals right uh, uh, who would also probably belong to the upper classes and there are dancers Uh, you know the, who may not be uh, you know they are the ones who make more free movements so they are the ones who blend across the screen okay they are the ones who are like white ghostly you know make ghostly appearances they are much more free and they are wearing masks as well uh, and very interesting so what is very important is that the movement of the upper classes and the shahib ghosts are extremely staccato like it is mm-hmm. like they are moving in a kind of a in a kind of a calculated strategic way and there is a page in the draft where he's actually mapping out the movement so you know you know where they will move you know and how they will move he's so detailed about that so it's a conscious decision to make them move in that way and then blend it with probably the more commoners who are more free many say that there are influence of uday shankar's uh, you know kalpana 
may owe something to Ray's friend, David McCutcheon, mm. who did a lot of the subtitling and mm. worked with Ray very closely on many of the films. David McCutcheon's life's work was to document the terracotta temples of Bengal. And these terracotta temples have very vivid, uh, lifelike um, uh, models of uh, contemporary society, including sahibs and uh, you know the, all the classes of society, Brahmins and workers, and you know and so on. And it may be that McCutcheon, who was traveling around Bengal and taking photographs of these temples with their amazing terracotta friezes, I think that's what they, they're called, friezes, uh, may have uh, you know, shown some of these to Ray. And Ray, therefore, thought of putting mm. them all together in a dance. 
know, yeah. this is something that struck me. Another, yeah. so, another yes. thing, uh, sorry, uh, another thing that I think, you know, Ray was extremely fond of sequential arts as well, you know, yes. and a lot of things may have sort of... Percolated. What do you mean by that? I mean, of course, he was very fond of comics. I mean, let us put it simply. Uh, but, you know, the sequentiality, the way, you know, he builds up this sequentiality, the treatment, I think he's one of the first one who thinks about it, uh, you know, in India in a kind of a, a more intellectual, conscious way, manner. And if you look at the layers of, you know, uh, you know the, the last blend of the dance, which features mm. all the tires together. Well, you know? that's what reminded of me of the, the terracotta temple. Of the terracotta temple mm. Because if you read, uh, you know, David McCutcheon's yeah. life's work, mm -hmm. his terracotta temples mm. of Bengal, that's the mm. book. And you see these photographs mm. that he took. Mm. Some of these temples no longer uh, preserve, yeah. you know, all that work. Very, very elaborate work mm. uh, with these mm. freezes of characters of the everyday of the, you know. But the also time, yes. uh, late 19th century Kalighat pot painting, yes. especially the yes. satirical, mm. you know, that they're making fun of the priestly class and all mm -hmm. those. Uh, because that's I see true. the Brahmin yes. with the tikka and that's tika, what I'm yeah. thinking. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, what you know? I I also thought of like the Czech uh, animation, claymation, mm. all of uh, that was, in the mid-sixties. He was mid, very mid fond 60s. of Norman MacLaurin, that we know. Okay. I mean, uh, he was very fond of Winsor Mackey. For example, he wrote articles on Winsor Mackey. Who's he? Um, Ray. No, no. Who's, who, who are these people? So Winsor not Mackey, everyone will okay, know. Winsor Mackey, of course, <laughs> is one of the doyens of you know comics in uh, the world. I mean, he's from here, uh, and. Uh, if you look at his work, I mean, he's such a great influence. And Ray was like a, you know, fanatic in collecting comics. So even today, uh, most of the collections are there in his home. And he used to collect this, he used to look at this. And, you know, he was also very fond of these early animations, uh, which is actually documented in some of his writings as well. So they, they may have played a role. I think... Uh, it's a kind of a combination of a lot of factors that used to carry. I mean, as Shupriyadi said, that I think the terracotta one yeah. is a wonderful kind of an insight. Yeah. So a lot of thing was happening in his head, and it's very difficult to you know pinpoint what. Ex and that's the magic of Ray. You know, you cannot pinpoint what he's really trying to do. But yet, there is this mm -hmm. temptation to sort of you know go through. Another should, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Another important thing. I just I want, want to move to the next. Just one thing before I, yes. because this is important here, uh, because one thing you have to understand, Ray in 1967 was actually negotiating with Columbia Pictures here in order to make a film, a sci-fi film called Alien. And he, there are alternative titles of Alien that he wrote. One is called Mongol Kabba, which will be like epics from Mars, and also Avatar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was also written. And, you know, he was to make this film. He made trips uh, to L.A. and to the studio bosses. And he penned Peter Sellers and Marlon Brando, later James Coburn and Steve McQueen to play characters there. But that fell through because of a dubious kind of a, uh, kind of a intermediary whose name is Michael Wheeler. Wilson. And it, uh, yeah, Wilson. Wilson. Michael Wilson. Wilson. Sorry. I mean, Michael Wilson. And... After that, what happened was he concentrated on Gupiga in Bhagavan. So there is also this very important facet. You know, he was, he made a reiki of, uh, uh, for, for Alien, but he stopped it and then he went forward. Okay, so we got to talk about Borfi, the wizard figure, because that's, I think, spectacular. And unfortunately, some, most of you know this by now, that yesterday a whole reel, in the old days we used to call it a reel, quite a bit of the film was missing. 
from the copy that was sent by the National Film Archive. I don't know what happened. We'll try to figure it out. But uh, two songs were missing, including one song that, for me, is the soul of the film. So there, there's that. Uh, class, I'll show you that in class. So, uh, uh, But if you want to, any of you, let's talk about technology, the relationship to technology, to witchcraft, to Burfi, and in this film, this other character. Um, the scientist. Right, I'd like to, um, yes. Uh, well, in, uh, I mentioned Tagore's play Muktodhara, The Waterfall, and that features uh, an engineer called Bibhuti, mm. who has been hired by the evil king, the um, tyrannical king, who's called, I think, Ronoji. Mm. And uh, he is in charge of building this dam and uh, stopping up this waterfall. And uh, the role, uh, you know, the, the, the worship of the machine by these oppressive forces and the resistance to the machine by the people who are on the side of the waterfall and nature. This is a very important theme in Muktodhara. Um, sorry? No, no. Uh, yeah. So um, I, um, uh, I think that, uh, you mm. know, that kind of opposition mm. is very much in Ray's mind. Um, the uh, role of magic, perhaps Moinak will mm. say a little more about that because the, the a, a parallel character in the earlier film mm. is a magician rather than a scientist, whereas the, in the second film it's very much a scientist. It seems to me that the second film is much more political. It was made, I think this point needs to be made because it hasn't been made so far. It was made five years after... Indira Gandhi's emergency, 1975, uh, which led to, uh, you know, uh, the imposition of um, a kind of a state of emergency on the uh, yeah. Indian polity, and a lot of people went to jail, and a lot of, uh, you know, a great deal of oppression um, was was very visible and manifest. And um, Ray did not like the emergency. He made the film maybe some years later, but certainly the film does have a much more, a much stronger political message. From the beginning, the purpose of the, fi uh, the, 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 you know, the purpose is clearly set out, let us overthrow this oppressive king. And it's interesting that in Muktodhara, there is a school teacher with his students but the students have already been brainwashed and they are in fact like uh, you know Nazi youth they are singing um, songs in praise of the tyrant and the school teacher is encouraging them to do so in uh, Muktodhara in that those earlier plays that I mentioned Puritran and um, Prayushchitta this the figure the dynamic uh, figure of uh, resistance and release is Dhananjoy Boiragi the Baal singer and these roles are of course slightly differently apportioned in Rai's making of um, Hirokraja Deshe uh, but it seems to me that politics plays a very important role especially in the second film Murphy Murphy yeah mm. Oh, we have actually mentioned that the uh, evil magician, the black magician in Gopika and Bhagavad, uh, you can, you know, you can easily sort of uh, recognize that. He's actually modeled on uh, Ivan the Terrible, uh, Sergei Eisenstein's final film, two-part film. Uh, Ray was very fond of that film. Yeah. It was 
was a great admirer of Eisenstein's, but uh, he has written on Eisenstein, and he mentions specially um, his film club career begins with what, screening Battleship Potemkin, which has happened across the world, I think. Many film societies in the 1920s uh, in Paris, London, later in other parts of the world began with screening Battleship Potemkin. Ray was no exception. Ray's little film society in Calcutta began like that. But he actually became a great admirer of the final film, mm-hmm. Ivan the Terrible, especially because he was a classical music aficionado, especially the Prokofiev score. He used to watch the film again and again mm-hmm. and listen to the score and his kind of, you know, he was also adept at doing the staff notation. He would even do his own sort of musical compositions in staff notation. Um, the, so, and also the name Borfi is a kind of name of a sweetmeat hmm. in, in Bengal. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like that. So if you remember the glasses that hmm. the magician wears are in the Borfi shape. The other thing I think one should mention is all kinds of elements have gone into it. Is the fact that this actor was an amazing character, a person, artist, a writer, singer, composer called Horindranath Chattopadhyay, who again was actually closely associated with the Indian People's <coughs> Theatre Association. Horindranath Chattopadhyay had been playing this kind of slightly strange, weird figures in popular films also, Bombay films also. I think he also designed the character keeping the actor in mind. Hmm. And um, the other last thing that one could mention was, remember when the, that silhouette where he goes over the hmm. fort, the last, the last scene and he then suddenly evaporates. If you remember the image, it kind of reminds you of Seventh Seal, Birdman's. And I think there is a clear kind of clear, yeah, he must different. have had that in his mind. Seventh yeah. uh, yeah. Seal is fifty-seven. Right. Yeah. This is sixty-seven. So, yeah. and by that time, Seventh Seal was a classic. Right. Right. Yeah. Another thing I want to mention here is, of course, his uh, obsession with you know getting this uh, uh, brainwashing machine you know correct. You know the oh. way he drew it. He drew, he drew it again and again, and there are drafts of the way that machine should look. He was actually uh, very careful about the way, you know, all the cogs and things will be there. I personally think there is also a lot of, uh, you know, Dadaist influence and all that. But, you know, you can also get hmm. back to Obonindranath and his uh, depiction of Kobundho, you know, the, uh, one of, in one of his uh, works called Khuddur Jatra, uh, which is a very kind of a postmodern work. So he was very, very uh, careful in the way the machines would look. And if you look at the uh, set design as well, there is this eye, you know, which sort of yeah. speaks of surveillance, you know, the, in the inner chamber of the king, not the court, but the inner chamber. So you have that eye. And, uh, and, and that was also designed with, with, with something in mind. So, so I think the machine design, uh, you know, somehow complements, uh, you know, the scientist and the way, you know, the way they mm-hmm. operate. You know? Okay. Um, I have to ask this question. These are musicals. He composed the music as well. And I'm not, I, I'm, I feel very inadequate every time I talk about music. And Dave Novak is gone. So uh, maybe you guys can a little bit. But what I wanted to ask was it's a musical, but how does it compare with, I don't mean good or better or worse, not that, but 
in form, structure, tone, quality, all that. How does it compare with, say, the Bombay films, which are often called musicals, but which really aren't musicals in the sense we think of musicals in Hollywood? Um, or to the Bengali commercial films of the period, of the 50s, 60s, or to, say, something like Umbrellas of Cherbourg by Jacques Demy, uh, the European kind of musicals coming in then. Uh, I'd just like to say it's something to begin with. Please don't take this comparison seriously. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that is common between Bombay kind of musical, quote-unquote, and Gupika and Bhagavan and Hirokraja Deshe, is that Ray composed the songs first and then made the films. Mm. I don't know what, mm. where you can take this. So that's The Bombay people yeah. do this all the time. They first kind of compose the films and then they think of the script around that. So perhaps we should also mention the Marathi Sangeet Natak, uh, which is in a way the, you know stands at the origin of Bombay mm-hmm. uh, film, and uh, that too is a form, a kind of operatic form, where there is a great deal of singing and some dancing, mm-hmm. and sometimes um, rhymed um, exchanges between yeah. the characters. But I don't, I'm not sure how familiar Ray was with Marathi Sangeet Natak, right. but it, it's a very important form, actually. There is a wonderful interview mm-hmm. of uh, Ray in the Life magazine. So Life actually interviewed Ray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, before he was just you know, trying to do Gupi Gain Bhagavan. And uh, they sensed that it was a shift that Ray is making from mm-hmm. his earlier films to this one. And then there was this talk of Alien as well. So they wanted to sort of uh, talk about it. And Ray actually has a wonderful word to say. He said that, you know, I, I set out by making my kind of musicals. You know, it's something, you know, I cannot imitate the mm-hmm. Bollywood stuff. I cannot make things like, say, Hollywood musicals, which he admired as well. But, you know, for him, this is the closest kind that he can make. And he actually wanted to sort of combine everything together to make it just an enjoyable experience. We have to also remember that and this is not a this is a real story and his son testifies to it his son actually came one day and said that you make films his son sandipre actually came to uh, satyajit ray and said you make films that are not understandable to me at least as a child so why don't you make a film for us for the children so that gave him a kind of a thought uh, you know and that is mentioned in the interview i started with that with that very simple premise of making things which are enjoyable to a Bengali child, and then suddenly, you know, he added layer upon layer to make it so deep that we are now, we can actually take that leap in order to explain things, which is there, which is definitely there, but at the heart of it, and that is where you come back to the child question, at the heart of the film is, you know, is also to explore the child in you, right? And mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. like a very yeah. important impulse for Ray, yeah. as a beginning, as a trigger. Yeah, yeah. Should be very short. Yes, we are out I just time. had a quick uh, point to make about uh, the two boys in this film, or maybe the same boy who is um, uh, using a catapult um, first to knock off uh, this um, nose, you know, nose. The, the, no, uh, you know, the nose, but then earlier he's okay. hitting the headdress of mm-hmm. one of the ministers, right? Now, um, 
so you have these two children or maybe one boy, one child with the catapult who is making a gesture um, against um, power, against kingly power and oppression and tyranny. And you have the same idea used in Shatranj Ke Khilari, the chess players, where right at the mm. end, mm. right mm. at the end of mm. the film, you have a boy throwing a stone. Right. He, all he does is throw a stone towards the, um, the British regiment that is marching into Awadh, into Lucknow, in order to, depossess, uh, to dispossess the king, uh, the Nawab, and take it over. And that uh, act of resistance, for which he uses the figure of a young boy, a child, I think that too mm. is you know, something that echoes in his, uh, in his uh, films. I um, was also thinking about how much I liked the first film, and I love the second film too, but not in the same way, because the first one has a joyous lightness that the second becomes much more pedantic, you know? And there are many ways to think about what is it that made him change the tone. Perhaps the emergency years, uh, perhaps, you know, 68, 9, and after that, things became very political in cinema for a while. We all know this, right, around that time. Even film theory became very political for a while, and maybe that pressure was there too. But, you know, we can think about that more. But I want to say thank you so much for staying this late, and... Thanks to our panelists for an incredibly rich... You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.